How's it going? Oh, you know, I have an amount of children. I feel you there. I feel you there. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to Beam Radio. What's this? Oh, this is live view stuff in action. Wait, SVG. really? This is cool. With Did SVGs. Yeah, yeah. So this is for the SAS that I run with my uh, younger brother. Is Bruce coming or? No. Is he? I think no, so. Bruce. I think he's on the Mississippi River. Ah, uh, he's heading back home. I know. So crazy that he won't be on the boat anymore. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Beam Radio. I am one of your fabulous hosts, Sophie DiBenedetto. I'm joined today by Alex Kutmos. Howdy, howdy. Hey, Alex, as well as Lars Vickman. Hello. Hey, Lars. It's nice to see you both. Uh, We are super excited to jump into our main topic for today. I think it's something that will probably be pretty front of mind for many of our listeners, but I don't want to spoil it yet. Uh, Before we move on, I will just give a shout out to our wonderful sponsor, Graxio, which you guys know is career fuel for programmers. And they've got a lot of great courses there currently and a lot of great things coming up. Uh, Look for live view content, look for some machine learning content. And uh, yeah, just check it out if you haven't already. And without further ado, I think I'm going to hand it over to our main host for today, who's going to kick us off. Lars, take it away. All right. Yeah, I don't know if anyone has noticed, but ElixirConf 2022 happened. And at that conference... I did notice. Oh, you did? I did notice, thanks. (laughs) Very neat. Uh, This strange man called Chris McCord went up on stage and started talking about something called Phoenix and something about LiveView. I thought it was an interesting talk, and I figured we we might cover it. Joking aside, it's one of the keynotes, and of course, it's chock full with interesting updates to Phoenix and LiveView. And since that's always on the community's mind, I figured we'd look through and see sort of what parts we find the most interesting, uh, and whether they're solving our problems or giving us new ones, I guess. <laughs> um, and just to start out, uh, we will have the link to the keynote in the show notes, of course, but to run down the list. So Chris gave a convenient list early on in the keynote for Phoenix 1.7 and LiveView 0.18. Uh, and for Phoenix, we're getting verified routes, which is a new way of, of uh, generating routes in templates and stuff. I think should be quite nice compared to the route helpers we have. Then there's the tailwind by default, which is, mm-hmm. as you said, probably the most controversial thing for this for this talk. Um, there was a lot of a lot of nuance and interesting stuff in there, though. Uh, component-based generators. So the generators for making your initial live project and whenever you generate something new should be using components and there was phoenix gen auth dash dash live which generates a live view based login and all of that user management stuff so those are the things for phoenix 1.7 i think they're all very interesting and then for live view we have declarative assigns uh top of mind i'm almost a little bit uncertain about which ones those are, but we'll get into it. 
Um, then we have the HTML formatter, which is, has definitely already launched. And you, I don't think you strictly have to do liveview 0.18 to get it, but it's a, it's a super nice piece of functionality to get uh, your Heeks formatting everywhere. And then accessibility building blocks. And yeah, I think we can touch on the importance of that later. So where do you want to begin, people? I think it makes sense to start with Phoenix and then yeah. work our way into the live view bits. I think that's a good so What are you guys start. most excited for in Phoenix on 7? I'm like, I'm excited about Tailwind, but I am still terrible at doing anything that even, you know, has a whiff of front-end design and I haven't worked with it and kind of bitten the bullet and figured out what really the benefits are. And so I'm wondering, because I know Alex, you definitely have, and I think Lars, you have as well done some Tailwind stuff. Um, any advice for people like me that are kind of low-key afraid of even doing like basic CSS? Does Tailwind make it easier? Tailwind makes it a lot easier. Um, like, I don't think I've actually written a CSS file since I've, I've learned. Uh, Fantastic to hear. Learned and started using Tailwind. I think the best thing that happened to me was actually buying Tailwind UI. And I forget mm -hmm. what it goes for nowadays. But um, yeah, you can literally just copy and paste an entire block of HTML with all the utility classes in there. And that's usually a pretty good starting point. And then you know you can modify it per your per your taste or per your project. But that is that is enough to get started with. Um, and there, there, I think there are plenty of other open source projects as well that kind of follow that same model where you can just copy and paste blocks of html and uh mm -hmm. you, know, you get all the classes in there and you're you're kind of off to the races one thing you do need to be careful about is like the html will get unreadable if everything is is in line like that um mm -hmm. so definitely make good use of components and mm -hmm. kind of compartmentalize all that uh utility class uh soup mm -hmm. so yeah. it kind of sounds like tailwind and live view go together nicely then if you want to they do pair nicely they do pair mm -hmm. nicely yeah as long, as long as you're diligent about it if you mm -hmm. if you let it go uh let it go amok it will you know you'll, you'll start getting like diverging buttons here and there because you put you know an outline on on one button but you didn't put it on another or you use like one shade of green on one but then the other one is like 100 points off so you mm -hmm. do need to you do need to be diligent about it but I, th I think the trade-off is well worth it compared to like, uh, you know, I've, I used to build apps with, you know, less and SAS and all these mm -hmm. other kind of CSS uh, higher level languages. Uh, but you'd have issues there too, where your selectors were off and you'd, you know, you'd apply the wrong classes or the wrong styles. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think so this is, this is a pretty good, a pretty good setup right now. Definitely not without its pitfalls, but I think all things considered, it's, it's uh, a good development route. I saw someone describe CSS as growing lin linearly with uh, time because you never read right. CSS. Even though the whole point of it is to, you know, yeah, exactly. well, not so, the whole point, but yeah. But the whole idea being like, oh, we're going to build this semantic uh, structure and yada, yada, yada. And Tailwind totally flies in the face of that. And I think it's uh, a good opinionated approach like CSS tends to be a problem in the long run. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you want to tackle a problem thoroughly, usually you need some opinions in there. 
And for some people, Tailwind will probably be the wrong choice because it doesn't match their opinions at all. What are the opinions of Tailwind? Real quick, TLDR. Utility class. Yeah, utility classes. So it's almost like writing inline styles. It's not that mm -hmm. far off from writing inline styles. And it might, I say. it might be the case that if I would stop using Tailwind, it mm -hmm. might be just that I start writing inline styles instead. Mm -hmm. Interesting. But what was helpful for me in getting started with Tailwind was that I read Refactoring UI first, mm. which is a super helpful book for developers that want to do some design. Just mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm going to style this component. Okay, sit down. And this is, it describes a way to start. Mm -hmm. um, and like thoroughly work through something. And I thought that was helpful. And then it maps 100% to Tailwind. Mm -hmm. uh, That's interesting. I think Tailwind is slightly easier to learn than CSS itself, mm -hmm. but it really helps if you already know CSS. Because Yeah, or maybe at least the basics. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> mm -hmm. It's also funny because then sometimes you'll learn that something is a CSS feature after you see a utility class about it. You're like, oh, I didn't even know you could do that CSS. And then, you know, Adam Wyden was kind enough to wrap it in a uh, tailwind utility class. <laughs> you're reverse learning CSS. You're, you're yeah. trying to avoid it and you're learning it at the same time. But honestly, the one that jumps out to me the most is probably verified routes. That's probably going to be the long lived thing that I care about the most because route helpers, like I've abandoned them in particular projects because I never hit the right one. Mm -hmm. And it's a pain to like constantly guess and then find uh, out that you're wrong or have to go. And in that particular project, my autocomplete and, mm -hmm. is broken for some mm -hmm. reason and da, 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 da. And suddenly you're sitting there guessing whether it's like users, yeah. route, mm -hmm. path, blah, 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 and some argument order. And it's just It's interesting just because it seems like it shouldn't be that painful, but I will say... Um, in teaching the Mastering Live View course um, that I have and that Stephen and I, and I have taught together as well a few times, that actually is like a pretty serious point of friction that people will get hung up on. Just the, if the task is like, you know, now use the Live View link helper function component to make a link to X route. Um, I don't know why I'm still surprised by this, but yeah, people end up sitting there for a couple, decent couple of minutes just trying to get the route correct. Um, and that just feels some, like something that shouldn't be a point of friction, not because you should have magically memorized it. I'm not saying that these students shouldn't be running into this pain point. It just feels like something that could be solved by the framework. And as with so many things in LiveView and Phoenix, um, when we come up against a pain point that we wish could be solved by the framework, give it a couple weeks, give it a couple months. It probably will be. Chris McCord is on it. And now we've got these verified routes. Does it do both paths and full URLs? I, I, I didn't look into it uh, too much. Like, are there two different sigils, one for the path, one for the full URL? I don't know if they covered that. I know there's sigil P. Yeah. Because that allows paths and URLs. I have it. I have the change log open in front of oh, me. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. You, yeah. yeah. Use of the sigil P macro allows paths and URLs throughout your application to be compile time verified. But they're, router. they're both through the same sigil? It's, yeah, same sigil. And I see this one okay. here is a URL. Yeah. And the example. Interesting. Yeah, I'll take a look at that. Yeah, because that, 
that's been a pain when writing like emails and stuff mm-hmm. um where it's always like yeah what's what's the name of that helper and then sometimes i'll pass it the path kind of mistakenly i'm like no this should this should definitely be a url because it's going out mm-hmm. with an email yeah 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 yeah, this uh, if it does, be... that is that is a nice uh, that is a nice to have. Absolutely. And the fact that it's compile time checked is also super awesome because then mm-hmm. you're not throwing around. I mean, they're strings, but they're not magic random strings. So you're exactly. Not, you're, not, you're not stringly typed, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they yeah. can be verified. So let's verify them. And that's sort of the the fun part is they're they've implemented a, an approach that is very close to what you do when you table flip and throw out helpers. Yes. It's just like, Yeah, ah. basically they're like, well, you know what? You know the URL, like, you know, it's going to be slash whatever, whatever. Yeah. So we, you get to just write that, which I think is, because a lot of the times I will, especially in my classes, I will give up sometimes trying to get the route exactly right because especially if it's not the focus of what we're learning, you know, we're trying to learn how to use, let's say the link helper function, excuse me, function component. And if we're struggling to get the route exactly right, especially when it takes, you know, dynamic segments, I'll just say, screw it, just actually write, you know, slash log out or whatever, or slash post slash two, and then just call it a day. And now you get to use that. Because those are really just easy to remember. Usually the paths are not hard to remember. Mm-hmm. They yeah. can be tricky to get right if you just mess something up. Yeah. But in this case, you then also get the compiler warnings about it yeah which is seems like the best of both worlds to me mm-hmm. because that layer of uh, of uh, sort of magic with the helpers has never been entirely clear to me and it i can see why it would stump some students because there's not a path you can follow mm-hmm. without diving into the phoenix source to see yeah, and happen? then you're kind of going through layers and layers of helpers, which I think is kind mm-hmm. of a fun exercise, and I, I don't think it's too inaccessible, but, um, you know, it's nice that you don't have to. No. And yeah, I think it, that, oh, go ahead, Alex. I was like, usually I have an IEX session open as well when I start uh, Phoenix, mm-hmm. and yeah. I'll manually type in, like, my modules web uh, or my projects uh, web mm-hmm. module dot helpers uh, or dot router dot helpers, then find all the helpers. and like, oh, that's that's the one I'm looking for. Yeah, and as- yep. Yeah. As Chris said, with live view, it's sort of worse. It's like, uh, what do I need to pass in here? I just defined a live. Yeah, I, exactly. I don't even know what what this one wants from me. <laughs> and trying to get it right. I think that's gonna be a bigger impact on my overall use of Phoenix Dig today than Tailwind shipping by default. Like I can install mm-hmm. Tailwind. They've made it quite easy but it's going to be super convenient to not have to. Then I think he mentions in the talk as well that it's ridiculously easy to rip it out versus I have some, you know, quote unquote legacy uh, Phoenix apps that still have Webpack in there. And yeah, good luck undoing all that and getting it building properly again. So this one seems far more, you know, easy to, to strip out of any of the the build and uh, and compile stuff and add whatever else you'd like in there instead. I recently transitioned an app from Webpack to ES Build, actually. And as long as you haven't used too much of Webpack, if you just use the default Webpack, you can pretty much just switch in ES Build. But uh, I've added some additional things in there. Uh, yeah, that's your mistake. It's, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's my. No, you're screwed. 
I shot myself in the foot there. Yeah, <laughs> should have known better. Yeah, uh, we had already removed like SAS uh, because it had some dependency issues and we didn't use it. So I've already gone to vanilla CSS. But having Tailwind ship by default, I think is going to be fine because that's just a sort of separate library dependency. And the way they tackle the generators now, which breaks them down to proper components, means that not only will it be easier to use with Tailwind and cleaner to use with Tailwind, but if you don't want to use Tailwind and you don't want to use whatever the default Phoenix ships with, which is now Tailwind, but used to be uh, this whole, uh, there was a reset and some basic, basic uh, UI stylings. Those were more effort to take out because they were spread throughout the code with like semantic classes here and there. Now all of that should be componentized. What is that word? Componentized? I think that's a, I think that's a new word according to the Webster Dictionary 2022. Componentized. Okay. <laughs> Componentated. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, turned into components. It has been turned into components. And that means that if you want to change what a modal looks like and how a modal works, it's like, oh, I want to use Bootstrap. All right. Go into the modal component, change all the classes, mm -hmm. turn it into Bootstrap. Yeah, I mean, they, they effectively gave you like an interface, but for the UI. So yeah. implement the components any way you like, and you know the the higher level layouts don't necessarily care. Yeah, and I think that's a good approach because I have been somewhat frustrated when I've tried to rip out the original Phoenix stylings. Um, that can get a little bit involved sometimes, or rather when I want to replace them in some nice way, especially when I've been adding Tailwind. It's like, but there's semantic classes all over the place. So I think those two feed well into each other, where for those that don't want Tailwind, you have a pretty good escape hatch now. Mm -hmm. That's something that I feel like... Um is definitely a theme in both Phoenix and LiveView as a framework. I think that it builds a lot of utility into the framework in a way that is, of course, opinionated, but it also exposes a lot of levers for developers to pull to either leverage a piece of functionality or you know, disable it, jettison it, not take advantage of it. And I think that's one of the things that makes these frameworks so powerful. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised in the to not see Tailwind be a flag. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then they would have to support some kind of visual that wasn't Tailwind. Or it would be sort of just raw, naked, mm -hmm. unstyled HTML. And I don't think that's necessarily better. Just pick a default, make it, make it a loosely held default. Mm -hmm. let people replace it is this a trend in a lot of other frameworks as well some i'm really really far removed from ruby and ruby on rails but i think i think they also switched to tailwind or did they switch to es build i know they switched to something but maybe it seems like a a trend that's emerging as kind of like a lightweight solution take it or or eject kind of thing yeah i would not be surprised if that's uh, that's the approach taken by by more frameworks because most frameworks that are not node-based 
do not want a node as a pipeline because it does get heavy and complex and painful at different points. But then, um, I don't know. In Rails, I think there's also a fair bit of connection with these. Oh, what are they? Stimulus, acid reflux, something. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> that space. But I know that there are some of those, like all the turbo stuff. And that, that, that's their live uh, live view equivalent, right? I was like turbo. Yeah, there's some or... some mix yeah, of that. Yeah, turbo links is part of it, and um, what's it called? Action cable. Yeah. And I think it's no longer turbo links. I think it's turbo now or something. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. But I think they've also chained together things a little bit more tightly because they need to re-implement or they, they need to cover the live view use case with more JavaScript than we do. I'm going to say that sounds 100% accurate based on my limited <laughs> knowledge. Steven should have been here. And he could have uh, yeah, defended and nuanced the thing, but that's not happening. Yeah, he's our, our resident Ruby on Rails expert. Him and his him and his raptors. Uh, for a moment, I thought you were saying raptors. That was like more Jurassic Park than I'm. Uh, raptors, for. raptors. Yeah. Okay. But no, I I think overall, I think it's these are good changes. Um, yeah, if you. If you want to pull in additional node tooling, you know, that's, I think it's easier to add that in and then to take it out. And, uh, yeah, I'm I mean, pretty, the pretty happy default, about these changes. Yeah. The default webpack that used to ship was painful to deal with. Yeah. It had yeah, a lot and... going on and it did not do all that much. Yeah. yeah. Then, I mean, sometimes, like, if you had a project that was a little old, you would start it up on like a Linux box. And I think SAS changed their compiler from like a JavaScript compiler to a Dart compiler or something like that. Mm. Either way, I'd ha I have these old products that used to work, no problem. And I start them up on like a Linux box, won't even start because some node dependency is broken, but it would work on OS X. And it was a small change, so I didn't feel like fixing the build. So I was like, whatever, I'll just make this one change in, in OS X and call it a day. Yeah, I've had that as well. Gen auth live. I don't think that one's big or controversial, or I think it's it's probably a significant chunk of code, but I mean it generates login and stuff with live view instead of uh, dead views. And I think it's gonna be a smoother experience and I think people are gonna like it. Yeah, I welcome this one. Because I actually tried to do this um when Phoenix Gen Auth came out and I started it. But then was like, eh, I have other things to do. Dead view is fine for now. Yeah. So the fact that the framework gives it to us for free now, uh, I'm I'm cool with that. I'm happy about it. Yeah, there didn't seem to be like much of a point of keeping all of those views dead views. Um, so I'm definitely happy to see that. Anything uh, that could be a live view now can be a live view. If that makes any sense from the point of view of generators. Uh, yeah, I think that's the case now. And I hope. This also means that the live view off story is slightly smoother because I think there were some extra hoops to jump through when you were doing gen off for live views. And I yeah, imagine that would be in the generator now. You can't set a cookie via WebSocket. It has to be via mm -hmm. like an HTTP post or, or whatever. Yeah. So that was that was the hoop you'd run through, whereas where you were run, you're running the validations via live view, 
But then when you're doing the final submit on the forum to actually create your session, that would happen through a post. Mm -hmm. So that was the, that was the biggest hoop and which is why I started doing it and then quit and was like, dead view is good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember from this client project that had POW installed and I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to want to use live view. And we have, we already have a Phoenix channel. That's really important that it's off and uh, the amount of work I had to do to manage that cookie because POW has a good security feature that is that it will expire your cookie every now and then. And it expects mm -hmm. you to keep refreshing your cookie so it can't be stolen or targeted or locked in. Great. But it also meant that I had to have this background thing throwing keep alive requests at the server every now and then just to update the cookie because it's it was quite involved to try to expose a different way of doing that. Otherwise, I think POW would be much, much more popular to use. I've seen a bunch of people ask like, oh, should I be using POW? And I can't recommend using POW. I've only had pain trying to use POW. And that's because it does not, or did not at, the, at that time, and that wasn't that long ago, have a good live view story. And I need live view more than I need POW. So general is, is the approach I take. And I rather like also controlling and owning more of the off code in the long run, because mm -hmm. that's also code that I want to change every now and then. Yeah, eventually come up with some, some use case that you need to change auth in a way that a framework usually doesn't allow. So having the code all live within your project gives you that flexibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I like about generators in Phoenix in general, pun, um, is that you get the nicety of the framework handling something that you know is tedious and potentially complex for you, but you also get it exposed to you and it's trivial to go in and build on top of it or edit it or what have you. So then we're reaching the live view bullets declarative assigns is this a new chapter sophie um so i mean this is definitely in the theme of things that were pioneered in uh surface and live use component library that's created by marlo savaya and a few other folks so surface components have declarative assigns and you can specify what assigns are going to be defined internally within that component versus what data points in assigns expect to be passed in from the parent. I think the API for that is data for the former versus adders for the latter. And on top of that in Surface, you can also specify the data type of the assigns and then you get compile time checks on that. And that's really, really nice for the development experience um, as well as for, you know, I assume catching issues in other environments as well. So this brings in not quite all of that into LiveView, but it brings in the ability to declare an adder in your Phoenix LiveView component and to specify the uh, name of a data point in assigns that you expect to come in through the parent calling the child component and the data type, which then again, you get the compile time checks for. Um, and I think it's a really nice API for developing your live view components that makes them really eloquent and explicit. It makes your code really maintainable as a result. Anybody coming into your component 
uh, at a glance can look through and see these adder declarations and see what data the component expects to be called with and what data types it's required to be. And it takes a ton of the guesswork out of coming into like the component that someone else defined and trying to figure out what is in assigns. What do we expect to have in assigns? What does this component need or expect to be called with? Uh, so just kind of making things a little bit more explicit, a little bit more declarative, and I think even easier to collaborate on and even easier to maintain. So I'm very happy that this has made its way into LiveView 018 and uh, not at all surprised to see that LiveView is borrowing things from Surface, which I think has been the relationship that LiveView and Surface have had for a little while now. Surface gets to kind of push the envelope a little bit, move faster and maybe break things, and then LiveView can kind of keep an eye on surface, see what's helpful, see what the community really enjoys, see what would be appropriate to consume and fold into the framework and then pick and choose those things. Two two things. It's A T T R, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I thought you were saying adder, A D D E R. Yeah, sorry. Adder. Style. adder. And I was like, wait, what? What are we adding into the thing? <laughs> okay, so yep. A T T R. And it's is it only compile time check or is it also runtime? Because sometimes like your your assigns will depend uh, like the assigns given to the component will depend on on runtime. So, is there anything that actually gets uh, checked at runtime, or is it one hundred percent compile time? I believe it's one hundred percent compile time. What would you want to check at runtime? Uh, the like say, holds. Yeah, like let's say I fetch something from the database for a user, and mm -hmm. uh, you know their their age is an integer, but I pass a string. Like yeah, so like if you basically accidentally violate the constraint yeah, yeah. during runtime, yeah, I don't, I haven't seen it i haven't seen that happen as far as i know it's compile time only gotcha okay yeah what i think this also enables or chris talked about it uh, better documentation like when you generate yes. documentation for components mm -hmm. you get this information baked in there and then also that they are going to be bringing the storybook project into the main phoenix org mm -hmm. it seems like so this was built out by people outside of the Phoenix framework. I don't remember. Oh, oh Christian Blavier. Um, mm -hmm. At his company, they built out and used a storybook style project. And this is something that existed for React and Vue and stuff for a long time. And Surface has a variant of this as well, where you can show your components and because you have some type information and that kind of thing, you can also show good forms for modifying the state going into the component. So you can see it in a variety of states and see what it shows when it has bad values and that kind of thing. Um, so that that's going to be interesting. And it's on the roadmap for for future Phoenix work. And I guess there's, there's a sort of working version now, but uh, it's going to going to go official that's what i hear mm -hmm. yeah that's think very cool these, uh, that type information enables mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of convenience there know what yeah, to cast I... to know what to ui to show yeah i really love this emphasis um with this release and kind of live you in general on documentation um and sort of just part of this soup of ingredients, ingredients that I think all go into developer happiness. Uh, it's a language or it's a framework rather that even though it's new, has always put a lot of importance on um, getting some of this stuff around developer happiness, right? So making 
testing really easy, for example, and in this case, making documentation like a first-class citizen. That's always been a theme in Elixir. And you see it come out in LiveView as well. It's the kind of thing that I think you would expect to see in a much more mature framework, but we have it in LiveView right now. Well, they have 18 versions of this CRM. That's series. fair, yeah. <laughs> but we're not 1.0 yet. We want 1.0. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, uh, other stuff that has come in, I think, from Surface are the let, for, and if directives. So they're described as adders that you can use directly in an HTML tag within your uh, live view template. So instead of having this kind of ugly, slightly onerous to type out uh, EEX tag where maybe you're opening your if statement and then putting your and to close it off, you can do colon if directly in an HTML tag. And then that tag is only visible if that condition is met. And the for and the let directives work similarly. If you want to do a for loop, for example, you don't need to open it up with an EEX tag and then close it with an EEX tag. You can put the for um, adder directly in that HTML tag. And you can just start looping directly within your HTML and just kind of makes things, I think, more readable, more eloquent, and just easier to write out. And it's very much building on one of Elixir's main themes, I think, which is that it is a pleasure to write. It's very ergonomic. I had entirely missed these. And the if I know I'm going to need, uh, I haven't looked It's great. Before, it's really cool. Yeah. I'll say this is, this is great, uh, Sophie, because I didn't know that either. And I have if statements sprinkled everywhere. Yeah, and kill your if statements. Uh... Yeah, and I'm just like, I know that at some point, my um, text editor extension that gave me a keyboard shortcut for the EEX tags like stopped working and I haven't enabled it yet. So I've, because I've just been lazy. So actually typing out like colon percent equals 20 times is such a pain in the butt. And this just cuts down on the places that you need to do that. And the, the worst part is when you forget the equals and you're like, WTF? Yeah, is why isn't this working? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> forget or sort of don't realize that you need it here and not there like the rules around when you need and don't need equals are very confusing to me sometimes yes yeah yeah because you need it on the if but then the else doesn't need it and then the end doesn't need it either mm -hmm. so these are things you take for granted after you've done it for a while but as as like a beginner you're like which where do i put it do i put it in all of them one I, of them i also middle? wonder how often do people actually start a piece of inline code in the X template and do not want the equal sign. That's incredibly rare in my experience. I don't know when I've done that. Yeah, I was going to say that's usually the the minority of cases. Where and it would like... be even be potentially frowned upon, I think, in a Hex template. I wonder if Hex should even support that. Yeah, I mean, the only time I've used it is uh, like if it's a comment. But uh, yeah, even that I use I use very sparingly in the in the markup. Uh, EEX comments. Yeah, so I'm definitely excited about those. Um, Sophie coming here with the change log instead of the keynote. I don't think, <laughs> well, I don't think okay, that was so covered in the keynote or he blazed past it. Somewhat I missed it. foolishly, Stephen and I decided before we taught our live view course at ElixirConf, um, which was at the end of August, we decided that we should update to use Live View Master, which was like the pre 2018 release. Um, so we found ourselves combing through the change log. And at the time, after we taught the class, I was kind of like, uh, why did we do that? But now I'm happy that we did because the 018 is out and we're totally ready. Uh, and there's actually something else that I noticed in the change log that I'm looking at now that I did not know before that I'm very excited about. 
um, as kind of an observability enthusiast, we also have this new live view logger, which looks like it now just ships and starts up with any live view and gives you free telemetry and instruments the lifecycle events. So mount, handle params, handle events for all live views and components. So we're getting even more observability into our live views lifecycle, which I think is great. Oh, that's very nice. I'm curious if I can roll some of these things into Promex because I did write a live view Promex plugin. Oh, it's got to be like a year ago now, maybe a year and a half ago. And so I tie into a lot of these events, but if they added new ones, that would be nice to, to start leveraging and print some nice Prometheus and Grafana dashboards with. Yeah, if nothing yeah, else, you might be able to remove some code just because this is a default now if people are running a recent enough live view. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is true. I'll have to dig into that. Yeah, he also covered the HTML formatter. And if I recall correctly, this is the one that can do heeks in live view or heeks in uh, Elixir code. So it can format the HTML inside of your heeks sigils inside your elixir code which that's means... so awesome all of mine look like garbage when i have my inline uh, render functions and components uh, i think i have this one running uh, pretty sure how oh, do you I, I just get this now yeah uh, it's it's a plugin for mixed format yeah uh, and uh yeah this is the kind of stuff you want just... i'm gonna have to set this up in vim yeah because that's that's one of the most annoying things is setting up especially if you're copying and pasting html off of uh, like tailwind ui yeah the, the worst part is formatting it afterwards and the so... next thing i know everyone's asking for which is not there uh, is a tailwind class sorter it's a prettier apparently from the javascript ecosystem apparently has a sorter for tailwind classes so you get them in I don't think it's uh, alphabetical order, but it's rather a semantic order sort of. Uh, so things that affect the display type of a of an element would be probably yeah. gathered so, up. And... Given the, so you said that's a prettier plugin, right? Yeah, and I, I don't imagine that coming to live view because then that puts a dependency on Node once again. Yeah, I, I don't think so, but I think the hope is that someone will will port it essentially. Ah, oh, that's more feasible. Yes. Yeah, because we, now we have something that digs into the Elixir code to pull out the HTML and format that. And while they're in there, might as well add another plugin that pokes at the classes. That would be nice. I would appreciate that. Yeah, because like uh, in Tailwind, you'd have, so M dash is your margin. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes you forget that you have like M dash three at the beginning of your class list. But then at the end, you're like, I this, this needs a little bit more margin. And you'll do like an M dash five at the end. Oh. And then you're like, Oh, why is, why is this one not working? Uh, well, yeah, you've already defined it. So if they get grouped together, at least your eye would see that, Hey, you've, uh, you've defined this twice, buddy. Yeah. And I think if anyone out there wants to get real popular real quick in the Elixir community, just contribute that beyond that. They went into, or Chris went into accessibility building blocks and making LiveView more accessible by default. Because if there's something that's very rarely incentivized for developers and products, it's 
it's accessibility. Mm. Like most people don't, aren't offered a ton of time to work on it. Most people are somewhat unaware of how to do it well, especially when it comes to sort of these dy very dynamic interfaces. You get a lot of accessibility for free with the dead views, but you can certainly mess it up quite well with these highly dynamic things. And uh, the one that came sort of top of mind for me was uh, the focus one. So if you're opening a modal, for example, uh, LiveView now has tools for managing focus and saying, we want uh, put the focus on the most reasonable thing in this block or put uh, the focus specifically here or that kind of thing and returning focus uh, afterwards. And, a bunch of that, and then overall making sure that what ships from the generators has a good level of base accessibility and shows how to do some of these things. And uh, with the further hope that things like uh, the pedal framework and whatever pick up and implement things similarly so that you, we get a lot of accessibility by default, which I think is a very good place to start. Uh, to generally afford a lot of people a lot more accessibility without expecting people to necessarily change their behavior. That also needs to happen, but that's a, that's a much tougher journey. I'm, I'm probably not something to... the Phoenix core team uh, or the LiveView team can affect all that much. Yeah, I'm looking forward to LiveView teaching me how to do accessibility because, I mean, all I know right now is... You put aria labels here and there, and uh, beyond that, I'm I'm useless when it comes to accessibility. So I'm pretty happy that that uh, LiveView is shipping with this stuff, and it'll at least give you kind of like a baseline, so you could say, oh, that's what you do with that, and then you can kind of apply that to the rest of your stuff, and and the framework kind of teaches you and guides you uh, gently. I like that. Um, yeah, I will give a big plus one to what Alex said, which is that I'm excited to have led you teach me some accessibility strategies and to give me those building blocks, because I think it's actually very rare um, for a framework to kind of treat that as a first class citizen. I've never encountered it before. And so I have uh, not really built with accessibility in mind very often. I don't know a lot about it. And so I think it's just one of the other uh, many benefits of working with LiveView. I've worked in contexts where accessibility is, is pretty important. I would say that people tended to sort of cop out. It's like, oh, we need a website sort of dealio. Can we use WordPress? Because we all know WordPress is accessible. And like WordPress has put some effort into accessibility, but whether it's actually solving your accessibility problem, eh, debatable but no one got fired for picking WordPress, I guess. Um, and there, there are certainly some themes for WordPress that are sort of accessible by default. Now, make sure you pick one of those themes, otherwise it's out the window again. And I think the same goes here. Like your custom stuff would need additional work to maintain ideal accessibility. And I don't think LiveView is necessarily worse than anything else when it comes to accessibility or worse than other highly interactive solutions. I think it's 
it follows the same baseline. Might work fine, might not, depending on what you're doing, and depending on what your accessibility needs are. So yeah, I've I've had to poke had reason to poke around with accessibility every now and then when I worked in the education sector, but it never went deep, like super deep enough, and even even in the areas where where it's important, like the incentives aren't there. Everyone's still in a hurry, and mm -hmm. still not top of the budget. Yeah, I think like um, was it on this podcast that somebody talked about this concept and it kind of blew my mind and it really resonated. Maybe you guys will remember if this was one of our guests. The idea of the pit of success. You want to make it as easy as possible. I feel like Chris McCord says that a lot. Yeah, I had never heard this. Or I guess maybe yeah. it rang a bell from Chris McCord talk or something. The idea that you want to make it as easy as possible for people to sort of fall into doing things the right way. And I think it especially resonates um, from the point of view, perhaps as like a library or a framework author, you want to make it as easy as possible for people to use your tooling correct and make the right choices. And I think that that's something that we see a lot in LiveView because it solves a lot of the common problems by pulling them into the framework so that you build things correctly because you use a framework that solves problems correctly. But baking accessibility building blocks into the framework, I think, is another example of the pit of success for LiveView. It makes it easy for you to make the right choices when it comes to accessibility because Lars, I think you're right. Unfortunately, a lot of the time that incentive just isn't there if you're trying to turn out a quick web app for your company, client, or organization. Um, but if you if the framework can make it as easy as possible, sort of low effort and a no-brainer to make things accessible, then you're more likely to do it. So I think that's awesome to see. There was also a roadmap at the end of this keynote. And I recommend looking at it because it's super interesting. I don't think we'll have time to cover all of it. But there's some really, really interesting bits in there, like reimagining the form API. Oh, gosh. That's a simple one. <laughs> I, I don't know I feel if that like... makes me nervous or excited. Maybe write, maybe write your next edits after that comes out, uh, Sophie. Oh I know. This book. is why ugh. I'm very grateful for all the feedback that comes in on Dev Talk Forum. <laughs> Truly, it has caught so many things and so many considerations, but it makes me anxious because I want to update the book and I want the readers to like have the most recent version of everything, but we just have to wait until we hit one now and it stabilizes a little. Uh, and you might also want to wait for this uh, unifying live view and live component messaging. Uh, that might affect uh, yeah. some things in the book. Mm -hmm. It should Maybe probably make it simpler, bit. I hope. And like also, I don't know, I, I'm excited about this roadmap, but I just want to know more about all of it. Like, what does that mean? And then one that spoke to me was a layout component. Mm -hmm. Why did that speak to you, Lars? Because we have this this weirdo concept of layouts and stuff that you do to wrap templates and templates and templates. And you can do it two levels. I think that's all you get, but yeah, I think that's one. I think it's another one of those, like, uh, like the verified routes where yeah. like we take it like for granted now after doing it for a while, but initially, yeah, layouts were ridiculously confusing for me. Yeah. Cause you have like the root layout and then you have, the layout of the page or whatever that you're currently on yeah. and then setting the root layout you'd have to do it through like a plug and yeah if if we could find a way to to simplify that i'm all for that because in the grand scheme of things a layout is a component with a slot yeah 
yeah, it's just take this block, inject it somewhere else, and that's it. So I just yeah. wonder if use will ever go away in Phoenix. I don't use views for much. I get I use them to inject some helper functions every now and then, but whenever I have to do a dead view and I realize I need to add a con I don't can't just add a controller, I need to add a view as well. And the view just has one use statement. It's like, what are you for? <laughs> Why do you exist at this point? What is your purpose? Yeah. Yeah. So, no, that's yeah, I usually just take a couple of helper functions every once in a while. It's actually kind of funny. The only times I really use views and um like dead views nowadays are for um there's a library called Chromic for generating uh, PDFs and mm -hmm. it just leans on the Phoenix HTML um like uh, EEX compiler. And so those views are more complicated just cuz I have a lot of logic uh to like format data and massage it a little bit to get presented in a PDF. But all my regular old Phoenix controller views, yeah, just like you said, Lars, it's literally just one line, use, done. Now, it's an interesting roadmap, and uh, you should totally check it out. And he does discuss it some, so it could be worth listening through if you haven't watched the keynote already. But I think it was a good keynote. I think Phoenix keeps having a good direction. I think live view moves forward well. And um. Just looking forward to grabbing hold of the future as it comes running. All right. On that note, I think we'll conclude this week's episode. Uh, you'll find the video for Chris's keynote in the show notes. Definitely check it out if you haven't already. We will give another shout out and a thank you to our sponsor, Groxio, which is Career Fuel for Programmers. Um, I will also sneak in my own shameless plug, which is that Code Beam America is coming up in San Francisco. Uh, if you're on the fence about coming, come and hang out with me. I would love to see any of our listeners there. And I'll also mention that uh, Stephen and I are giving a virtual training the week of the conference, our Mastering Live View class, which is up to date with Live View 018 because we decided to adopt Bleeding Edge when it was still a release candidate. So we're totally ready to dive into all the 018 Live View goodness. And again, we would love to see any of our listeners there. We also have some discount codes for our listeners that you can use for CodeBeam tickets, and we will include those codes in the show notes. So check them out and think about attending this year. And with that, we will wrap up. We will see you guys next time on Beam Radio. Thanks, Lars. Thanks, Alex.